What is up, everyone? We got a lot of news to cover for this week's Bay Area real estate market update. Some of the things I'm going to be commenting on is California home sales dropped pretty significantly year over year. If you've been tuning on, tuning into this show, you've been seeing that already. So when a news article picks it up, it's already pretty uh, delayed and pretty behind. Next, there are thoughts again of how having some sort of California vacancy tax for those that own property but leave it vacant. We have some news that South Bay and Peninsula, the office markets are still strong while San Francisco is struggling. The Bay Area still ranks number one for tech talents across the uh, the U.S. and actually uh, across North America is where this is being tracked because Toronto is actually on this list. And some other things, the techies we want to go away have, and now it's our loss. And we're going to talk about did people really go away from San Francisco? What is it really like there? We're going to dive into that a little bit more, a little bit deeper. But let's go over the news of the week. California home sales see huge year-over-year drop, report shows. So we've been talking about this for weeks now because we have been seeing the inventory levels continue to climb. And we've been able to see how many pennings and transactions have been have been week by week. So because you guys have all seen this, now whenever you see this report, it's really late. So it's not a big surprise. Now, yes, a combination of things that we have seen. Number one, the transaction volume has been slower. However, prices haven't actually declined that greatly at this point. And it's always going to be that balancing question. Will people be okay to sell it at a much lower amount, even though there is no rush or there's no need for them to do it? Because they've already had significant equity in place. So it's always going to be situational of the specific cities, the type of properties, and just the situation of that individual to determine, will you be able to buy at a lower price than you bought it before? Most likely, yes. But it's not something that you should just blanket think of. It's going to be case by case. So there's that's kind of one component of it. The other component, to be fair, is that there's aspects of seasonality, right? Not all times are hot. So spring is actually the busiest season, and you can look at every single year. It's always the same. So you have the aspect that summer, yes, combination of interest rates rising, combination combination of economic headwinds. But to be fair, combination of people traveling all around. You can see how busy the airline industry ha- has been, and you can see for, for a fact that people have been traveling, being distracted. Many of my clients are almost traveling every single week. So it's not unusual that we're going to see both of those factors all play into, into account. What's going to be really interesting to see is this thing's kind of re- recover uh, during the fall time, which is a little bit busier than summer, but time will tell. But something that we will continue to certainly monitor. Next, the next battle in California's housing crisis. Should cities tax empty homes? We've had this conversation before at a previous one of my episodes, which is, it's been voted out for individual specific cities, uh, and it didn't pass previously in San Francisco. But every city will make a decision on themselves of, hey, look, if these houses are empty, should we be doing something about that? Though also the reality is how how many houses are actually vacant, like truly vacant, as in it's just a secondary or a third home. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this continues to play out. I think a lot of cities will continue just to to uh, want to challenge this. But this is some really fascinating news. Take a look at San Francisco in 2019. Now it's a little bit different. Maybe it's actually worse. For rents, there's 72 
41 homes. Pro- proportion of vacant homes, 18%. Run unoccupied, 2,405 homes, 6% proportion of vacant homes. For sale, much lower, 3%. This doesn't really count for vacant homes because, look, they have it for sale. It's staged. That shouldn't even be part of this. Sold, that's unoccupied. This is a very fascinating number, 20%. Seasonal or occasional use. You know, that's the thing with flexibility, right? A lot of people that have made a lot of money over the last couple of years, they don't need to sell their condo in San Francisco. They may use it as a secondary home whenever they maybe live in Southern California, live in Florida, wherever they may go. And then here are some other things, renovation, lawsuit, et cetera, whopping 32%. So quite interesting, right? So the key, though, is they have to characterize this because some of it doesn't make any sense. For example, for sale shouldn't be taxed. I mean, that it's just they're just trying to stage a home. There's nobody living in there. They're trying to maximize it. But maybe for some of these other things, it could be a meaningful impact as to making these changes so that some inventory can open up. Time will tell. Each city will probably play it um, case by case. Some other news. We hear all this commotion. Oh, XYZ is going to be the new hub for tech, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the fact is this. Bay Area ranks number one for tech talent across, I think this is North American markets. This is North American because you can see, followed by Seattle, which is a very big player. Obviously, you have Amazon and Microsoft out there. You have expansion offices of a lot of the tech companies that we have in the Bay Area. Toronto has done very well, uh, especially those that unfortunately aren't able to come to the U.S., so they may choose to live out there. Um, So that's been very, very popular, been a a nice hub for many. D.C. has actually been surprisingly continued to be growing. A lot has to do with government work and opportunities of contracts there. Kind of a silent one. And then New York. New York has, has always had a lot of population, a lot of young talent that wants to be there, and they've continued to grow But the reality is Bay Area is dominant at number one. It's a very big gap between the next players. Uh, Seattle is is certainly rising and has done very well. But the others have a pretty decent gap away from being number one. Extremely important. You can see a lot of these places, while there's flexibility for work and for people, they're not big hubs like Nashville, Austin. Everybody's been clamoring about Austin all the time. They're not that big of a hub as you evidently see. When they do their expansion, they add a couple hundreds of employees, maybe some thousands. But this is like nothing compared to hundreds of thousands of tech employees in a particular area. And so it's just mindful to see like you hear all these commotions all the time. Of course, if a company can get talent for cheaper, they're going to keep pushing it. And that's why you keep seeing all these different things from these companies. You say, yeah, come on, move over here. Yeah, if they're going to be able to get cheaper labor uh, they're certainly going to want to keep promoting that. So just be mindful of that. Understand the data. Know like how much of a gap things are. And don't forget about that because we're not going to keep boasting about it. It's just just the number one. Usually the top dog doesn't actually boast about these things. It's those that are trying to claw their way up and gain market share, the ones barking the loudest. So next, South Bay Peninsula office markets are far stronger than San Francisco. We've been talking about this for a long time now. San Francisco and San Mateo County, look at these vacancy rates in the range of 9 to 10%. If you look at San Francisco, it's nearly 20%. It's probably actually higher than that. Now, it's not all even. So a lot of like the older office spaces are still not occupied in the South Bay or San Mateo County. But all the new ones, especially if they're able to convert it into labs, have done extremely well. So just keep in mind because a lot of those are still proximity to work. 
People still need to be in the office. Very, very important for those individuals to factor as part of their commute in, in, in their life. But either way, fortunately, commute is, is a whole lot less than it was before. Next, the tech news we wanted to go away have, and it's our loss. This is an opinion piece. So I still remember, do you remember that article or that news report back in uh, a couple of years ago where it was peak kind of San Francisco? Like San Francisco was just booming. Everything was just red hot. And uh, there was all this commotion about the shuttles, like the Google buses. Do you remember that? The Google buses getting like vandalized and just all these kind of commotions. And now, to be fair, we've completely swung the other way in the sense of offices, right? So office vacancy is terrible right now in San Francisco. And it's not looking, it's not changing anyways, not changing at all. So the, the if you go during the day, it's just a way less crowded than before, right? Because people don't actually have to be in the office as much. They, if they do, they're only going like one or two times a week. So it's significantly less. But I question this because at the end of the day, I know there's still a lot of people that live there. And it's still a lot of people rent there because just look at the rent figures. It's not like it's completely plummeted. It's still doing very well. So I think there's still a lot of people that choose to live in San Francisco. It's just you don't see as much. Because during the daytime, they're either working from home, which is pretending at their, at their place because they're not going to the office. So people may not see it as much. But I question that there's that many people that have actually left. Now, to be fair, the job count is obviously less because people have the flexibility to live and go wherever they want. Uh, so I think that's very meaningful. I think all those small businesses have certainly struggled because, like, if you know, think about a lot of those like sandwich shops. They were just there making money during breakfast and lunch. But if the breakfast and lunch during the weekdays is all gone, well, man, they are dead in the water, right? So I, I feel really bad for all those businesses that used to do very, very well. Uh, but now they're just like, it's just significantly bad. So uh, what does well, maybe some lunch places in those areas that people are not kind of going to. So like Soma has done not, not, not well. So places like the Marina, Prince of Mission, I'm sure have done better. Uh, so lunch places, a lot of dinner spots, a lot of bars. I know a lot of the bars have been extremely busy. So it's just a shift of what the opportunities are. And at the same time with flexibility, it also means they can also choose to live anywhere in, in the Bay Area. They don't actually have to live in San Francisco. But I question some of this. I, I still think there's quite a bit of people. But leave in the comments below if you have if you're in San Francisco, if you have personally felt there's more people now than uh, pre-COVID, I'd love to get that stats. If you feel it's now than during COVID, I'd love to get that. Does it feel busy of restaurants and activities? My guess is the answer is yes. Um, but I'd love to hear in the comments below. I'd love to hear from that. Last but not least, financing proves an obstacle for in-law units. So I actually got involved uh, helping construct in-law units um, quite a while ago, about three, four years ago. And this was always a challenge. People had maybe the mentality to try to do it, to build housing for various reasons. But the issue is financing. For the most part, people have to either use cash to build it or they may do a refinance. But especially as you can see, if refinance, if the rates, mortgage rates are continuing to rise, why would somebody want to refinance from a low rate to do this? A cash out refinance is not going to be good either. And so what needs to really happen is like, different lenders and the government needs to create some sort of program to be able to say, look, if we're going to build an in-law unit, we could do a separate loan, maybe a secondary loan, 
There needs to be processes like this in place for them to do it because it's going to be a construction loan, right? That's the tricky part. They're not going to be, you're not making money on day zero, like a house where if you buy a house, you can start renting it out. You got to take time to build. It may take six to nine months to build. So you're paying all this capital up front and it's not even ready. It's not even generating income, right? So there's got to be a process in place where it's like a construction loan. Maybe it's subsidized for later, as long as you can guarantee that it's going to be rented out. Right. There's got to be programs in place. Because if you look at this, the Biden administration, and this is what I don't like, is they, they create these random goals. They, their goal is to create one more than one million in-law units in the next five years. How? Like, what's the count right now? And how are you going to do this? Right. You have all these just logistical things, combination of money, combination of rising rates, combination of just knowledge to do it combination of construction people to actually do this work because not all places can get a return that quickly right so there's all these components that needs to be done and that's what i i dislike to be fair right with all these different things of like we're just trying to we just want to do a million million units well how are you going to do that you got to do all these different things you got to do loans you got to do city making it very easy you got to do the state level, making it really simple, make the guidelines very simple. So it's very boilerplate, uh, boilerplate to do. So you can just copy and paste that. Just fast track the whole process, right? Maybe have pre-approved vendors that can be done. Right? There's all these different things that can be done. And so that's the interesting and opportunity that can be done, but it's a lot of moving components. And so for them to hit that million mark is very difficult unless they can drastically overhaul the whole thing, not just by saying they want to do it. So I hope you enjoyed this video. Of course, if you have anyone that you know that's buying, selling, or considering to invest in the Bay Area, I would love to help. You can reach me below 408-547-4590. Enjoy the weekend. See you the next one. Bye now.